Welcome to Optimal Self, the art of becoming the best version of you. Join us as we talk with extraordinary people who are on the journey to living to their optimal self. We dive deep into their minds to learn what they do on a daily basis to create optimal results. They share their tools and insights so you can implement them into your own life to become the best version of you. Here's your host, Jeremy Herriter. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to one of my favorite things that I do in my life. You guys know it as Optimal Self Conversations, where we talk to incredible people through adversity, grit, and persistence are forging the path to being the best version of themselves. And they honor us by joining us in giving you tools to do the same. Today, I have an incredible... I'm going to have to just call her friend now because we, we've been on her show and I feel like we've had some really awesome, awesome conversations. We've yet to meet in person, but I'm super excited to have her. Teresa L. Young, she is the host of the Respected Man podcast. And you guys are going to love her. You guys are going to, you guys are going to get to see like truly somebody who has been through the adversity, has had the failures and come out on the, on the other side with a smile and sharing it with people and enjoying it. So Teresa, thank you so much for being here. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I've uh, enjoyed getting to know you. And like you said, we haven't met yet, but I feel like in today's day and age, you just don't really get to meet people. (laughs) (laughs) It's this weird, like technology, like you feel like, you know, everybody, you know, you can zoom with them. You've met them, right? That's technically meeting. (laughs) (laughs) True. True. So, so Teresa, for our listeners, that haven't had a chance to get to know you yet, you know, and see everything that you're doing. Give us a little background on who Teresa is. Like, where are you now in your life? But more than that, like, where did you come from? Like, wh- who is this woman that that you've built today that you've created? <laughs> That's a loaded question. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm 45 years old. I have three kids. I live in Arizona. <laughs> and uh, if you really want to dig down in the trenches, um, I grew up in a really small community. I've been Northwest Oregon and grew up on a 500 acre farm in a single wide trailer in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> like nowhere. Oh my goodness. Uh, I had alcoholic father, not parents, but father, um, you know, really dysfunctional home. I was the baby of the family, left home alone a lot, just, you know, doing my own thing. And I just you know, grew up watching this really dysfunctional family and always feeling this deep seated feeling that like, it was never a family that I wanted to have as I, you know, grew up and got older. And uh, I ended up moving out when I was 16 years old. And I didn't just move out. I moved to Michigan with my best friend from Oregon. So uh, I moved to Michigan finished up my last few years of uh, high school there. And by the time I was 19, I was pregnant. (laughs) and in beauty school. And I was actually engaged to get married because the small town that I came from, you know, that's what everybody did. You didn't go to college. You didn't, you know, have an education. You got married, had kids, and all the kids grew up in the same school together because there was like 200 people in my high school. So that's what we did. So I was doing everybody else in a small town and uh, had my first child at 20 years old, was married. And uh, that marriage didn't last long. (laughs) You know, given the foundation I'd had in my life. And then we were basically, I say, kids having having kids. I always joke around and say, marriages should fall off of your record like a DUI or something. <laughs> but they don't go away. <laughs> Divorces don't go away. <laughs> Just chalk it up for the rest of your life. It's going to stay on your record. <laughs> 
Yep. And then I finished beauty school, had my first baby. And quickly after that was divorced to go figure. I then moved to, uh, back to Oregon and I was, you know, going to be, finish beauty school and I got a job in Portland and I was living in the big city with my daughter. And I wanted to become a fitness trainer because I was actually doing a lot of fitness competitions, which by the way, if you've never done a fitness competition, get your ass in the gym and try it out. I think everybody should have to do it once because it teaches you so much about discipline and life. I was like, I won my first fitness competition. I was Miss Fitness Oregon. I got picked top 25 in the United States, flown to Mexico City to compete, went to Redondo Beach. I started to judge. I went to, you know, Miss Fitness USA finals, uh, competed there. And after a few years, realized that, you know, I was missing some time out of my daughter's life and I needed to, I needed to quit. But I got to tell you what, um, doing those competitions taught me so much about life that I had never learned growing up. I never learned that type of discipline. I never learned that type of love that type of self-love that you feel with that discipline that comes with that. And uh, then I proceeded to get married to a fitness trainer, go figure. (laughs) And uh, we were together for seven years. Uh, We moved from Oregon to Arizona. We got a job um, down here in Arizona. My cousin owned the um, athletic company called Pure Fitness, was a big giant company here for a lot of years. We worked there. I got to stay home. I coordinated aerobics, I did hair on the side, but two kiddos together, two sons. And during that marriage, our, our son, our firstborn son, you know, had two brain surgeries. <laughs> uh, these are just things that when you get married, you never anticipate this stuff happening in your marriage. You just don't, you get married and you think life's going to be great. And as women, we go into marriages thinking, you know, with this unrealistic set of expectations, and marriage is not Disneyland. It is not some fairy tale. And let me tell you, I have been there. I've been in the trenches of marriage. I know what it takes to be a wife and what it takes to not be a wife. <laughs> And let me tell you, I was a butthole wife pretty much all through my 20s because I didn't understand he was supposed to just rise up and be this Prince Charming from Disney. I wasn't supposed to have this child that had it required two brain surgeries when he was two years old. He had um, Arnold's carry malformation. And so he needed brain decompression because every time his brain would decompress into his spinal column, he didn't have fluid around his brain. And so it was like a brain freeze headache times 10. And he would fall to the floor screaming and grabbing the back of his head. And, um, I really grew a lot through that. Um, unfortunately our marriage suffered, you know, through that, we were told that our third child, um, which was a son that he would probably have a 50% chance of having the same problem. We hadn't anticipate, anticipated getting pregnant through that process. We did. Fortunately, our third child did not have the same problem, but going through that, you know, in your, in your mid twenties, it was like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of medical bills, you know, that stress on a marriage really takes a toll on your family. <laughs> Let me tell you that. So, you know, and, and, and through that whole process with my son and his brain surgeries, I didn't really feel like I knew what love was. I, I remember praying a lot that God would, you know, show me what is love. Like, what is love? Because I've never really felt loved. I don't really know how to give love. I have kids. I've been, you know, married. That's my second marriage. And that was right at that time where, you know, God decided to take my son and say, he needs to have two brain surgeries. I mean, these brain surgeries with Arnold Carey malformation, they're decompressions where they literally put your son face down, put his head in clamps, caught up on the back from his occipital bone to C1 and C2 was this huge incision for five hours. And they work on decompressing his brain. They remove part of the lower portion of his brain, the dura that surrounds his brain. They remove almost all of C1, part of C2. We had to have blood donors. This was not just some like, oh, we just remove some of the fluid on his brain. It was really intense. And through that entire process, 
I believe that that is where I discovered what the real meaning of love is, what it means to compromise and to sacrifice and to live selfless and to just really give everything to God and really trust the process. Because through that, so many beautiful things happened. And and now my son, he's 19. He's totally normal. He thinks normal. He has a big gash in the back of his head. He had to have the surgery done twice. The first one didn't work. And, and so the second one, you know, actually kind of fixed the problem. But man, he's just, every day I see him walking around and I'm like, that's my symbol of love right there. Like that kid, what he had to go through, that taught me, you know, really what love was. Unfortunately, um, that situation did take a toll on my marriage, but I have to say to this day, I've done a couple of podcasts with their dad, you know, Zach Lucas, we are great friends. We go to the same church. Like even though our marriage didn't work and, you know, we decided to separate, like we have great, great, great kids, a great friendship. He'll never call me his ex-wife. I'm baby mama. That's my baby mama. <laughs> I call him my ex-husband. I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> just to be sarcastic. But, you know, it's funny looking back, there's so many different things that could have changed, but um, we're just both really content, happy where we are. But yeah, it's kind of, kind of a little bit about my story. <laughs> well, well, let's be, there's a lot about that. And it's, I kind of want to, let's unpack it a little bit for the audience because you, you've been through a ton and, and, Again, you the intro says we talk to incredible people who through adversity, grit, and persistence are forging their path to the best version themselves and being the best version of you, right? And so we go back, I want to go back to the what you said about the, the fitness competition. And I love that you told the people, like the audience, like, man, challenge yourself, right? Like that's what that is. It's it's putting yourself out there because again. A lot of times, not just the, you know, I mean, especially for a woman, right? Or even a man, right? You're going to stand up there in whatever your board shorts or <laughs> Speedo, whatever, whichever one that you choose, right? The woman is in in some kind of, you know, very small bikini. I mean, you're ultra exposed for sure. But what you said was what I learned through there was, a, was discipline. And it's something, it, again... You didn't use this word, but but I also think that through that discipline, because you said self-love. And when when self-love comes from the things that I actually do, and this is something that I think most people miss, because you don't get that self-love by just standing in front of the mirror saying, I am beautiful, I am beautiful, I am beautiful. That I mean, I'm not saying that, that you shouldn't look in the mirror and, and high five yourself like Mel Robbins says, and I, I mean, there's science to all this. But I, what I do know is that that type of self-love and that type of confidence in myself comes from actually doing something. So you had to get up. You had to show up. You had to eat properly, find the foods, do the things, cook the food, whatever it is, right? It's like, <laughs> and I, I don't know in those days. Let's like, take it to a whole nother level. I yeah. had a baby. I had Ooh. a baby. I was not an athlete. Because I had to work. My first job, I was 14 years old. And I had I had to work. My parents didn't pay for anything for me. We didn't have the money. And I was the baby. And I was just left to do my own thing. So I worked. I didn't get to do sports. I should have been an athlete. I'm an, I'm an amazing athlete. Anything I touch turns to gold. That I recognize that. I wasn't. But I got to tell you, like doing those competitions, it, it just changed my life. It really did. And I, it was back in the day because I'm 45 years old. So when I did these, oh my goodness, 22 years ago, we didn't have like the internet like there is now. And so I had, 
I was poor. I was, I had a baby. I had just started being a hairstylist. So I had, I still have it. I have a three ring binder and I went around the, the people in the town, the businesses, and I asked for sponsorship. <laughs> Mm. And one of them was teeth whitening, which is hilarious. <laughs> oh my goodness. And I got sponsors to go travel, to pay for my tickets, to pay for all these things. And this was, I mean, I love digital marketing. I specialize in it now, but I was doing it to raise funds to, you know, have the, the, the ability to go do that. So it, it gave me a sense of confidence too. That, yeah. I mean, and I think especially with our listener, right? Because optimal self is the art of becoming the best version of you. It's not my version. It's not, I don't have some version in a box. I don't think everybody should Mm -hmm. be the same. I actually think the opposite. I think we all have a unique blueprint that each and every one of us have to explore, right? Mm -hmm. And so like you just said, I never, I I didn't know I was an athlete. I didn't have that opportunity as a kid, right? We were poor and I had to do this. I moved away at 16. I had to have a job at 14. Like I didn't have that opportunity when everybody else was, you know, mm-hmm. your mom was taking them to soccer practice. Like I was trying to make money so that we could eat. You, you know what I'm saying? Like there's, and I think that's an important element for people to understand is that sometimes we have to get into things that are outside of our norm. That's not your norm. Obviously sports was not something or, or that kind of athleticism wasn't something that you had the opportunity for. But as you, as you now start to, create the best version of you and that creating that again, and it's an evolution, mm-hmm. right? Cause we can all go back and say, and I say it all the time, right? I mean, at 25 years old, like I was an asshole. Like you couldn't tell me, <laughs> you couldn't, right? Like I was running on and off of professional baseball fields, getting paychecks from, you know, an organization. Like you couldn't tell me shit. Like I, mm-hmm. I wasn't listening, even if you did. Right. And now, do I wish I would have? Of course. But I also had to learn those lessons. I had mm-hmm. to follow my face. I had to get kicked, you know, of my own doing for sure. But just like you said, you learn confidence through discipline. Confidence is only earned. You know the difference. And I say this all the time is that you can see a man or woman that acts like they're confident and it comes mm-hmm. off really poor. It's very arrogant. Mm-hmm. It's somebody you don't even want to be around. But when you see that person who is truly in their own skin and like, you know, they're, they, you see that kind of confidence and usually it is in what they do, right? Like, and it's because they've earned the right to be confident and they have that feeling where they can have that conversation with people where they can help people and they can Mm. do those things and you see it. And I think I want everyone to really understand that because that type of discipline, it does, you said it teaches you so much and it does. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it allows other parts of you to open up because again, we don't know what that next step is, right? Even, mm-hmm. even when I've talked a lot of business with what you're doing and, and what, you know, with respect to man and the, I, I don't know what the next, I, I know what my goal is. I know what I want to happen. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily, new things come up all the time. New opportunities present themselves only because we're moving forward, only because I'm actually doing something, right? And when you do that, other opportunities open. And so <laughs> I want to go on to, because you said some really great stuff. And I want to use this word and, and I don't typically use it, but I know that we all have it. And I was, I was actually listening to a podcast of a, a, a Navy SEAL the other day. And he was talking about, and, he, and they use the word trauma. And I mean, with you, as I was obviously taking notes and I was listening, I'm like, holy cow, 
all the way back to being a child, right? An alcoholic father. I can totally relate there. And then as you know, you, you use it, you said dis- dysfunctional family. I mean, there's trauma there. And then it moves into, mm-hmm. gee, I why, you know, at 19, my first marriage at 19 didn't work, right? It's like, <laughs> shocker, I, you know, the foundation that was laid is not really that great. And, and here I am. And yet, okay, so I learned a little bit of discipline through this part of my life. And then it came into, you know, your son. And that's another mm-hmm. level of trauma, right? Like you mm-hmm. said, all we want to do is protect those, those little souls that we brought into this world. Mm-hmm. And, and when I can't, and when I can't take away their pain, it is a helpless feeling. It mm-hmm. is. And so I can imagine, again, that's another, like you said, what ends up happening? What happens? Well, it takes a toll on the marriage, right? I mean, all the things, financially, spiritually, romantically, mm-hmm. like all things suffer because all I'm trying to do is focus on this, this little human that, that whatever I can do. So <laughs> it's crazy. Cause I talk about these traumas and I, and I'm literally chronologically looking at them. And then you say something that just like, lets my soul on fire. You said everything I touch turns to gold. And that is a moment in our life. And people take that like arrogance or whatever. And, and I take it the exact opposite. I hear that. And I'm so and, like, literally, cause I'm looking chronologically on my sheet, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, like, I'm taking notes of just ta- having this conversation with you. Why it's called mm-hmm. alcohol self-conversation and all these things have happened and all these things that you've been through some by choice, right. And some mm-hmm. are just circumstances are given to me. Mm-hmm. You, born, you, you didn't ask for that to be born into. You didn't ask, you know what I mean? Like, but these are circumstances. Some of the other things, yeah, probably self-inflicted, right? But they're self-inflicted because I self-sabotage them. Why? Because mm-hmm. I don't know any other way. I don't have any other way. I don't have any other device inside of me yet because I haven't learned it to mm-hmm. get through those, those things. And so mm-hmm. I don't have a way to, to repair those, or I don't have mm-hmm. a way to be in those circumstances. I just react. And lo and behold, what happens? I probably lose a relationship or whatever. But then through all of that, you say the line, everything I touch turns to gold. And again, to me, it gives me the chills because I'm like, man, Teresa, that is, it's beautiful. Number one, that through all the adversity, through all the traumas, through all the things, whether circumstance or self-inflicted, you still now have this way to say, look, I can do it. I know I can. I'm here. Mm-hmm. Is there a time where you realize that? Like, when did that come about for you that you that you can now? Because when you said it, you said it in the most beautiful tone, the most honest way. It was very honestly said. It wasn't an arrogance. It was a very honest line. It wasn't like, look at me. It was a very honest moment. And I really, I think it's amazing. And so I'm wondering if you... Where does that come from? Where did that happen that you have now put yourself into a position where I can actually say those words out loud and believe them? (laughs) You know, I don't really know if there was a certain time. It probably came with age and experience, but I can remember a few years ago sharing a story with a friend and I was talking about how I I would never live life afraid of circumstances or afraid of situations or afraid of going in, you know, because God says he wants us to walk through the valley of the shadow of death because walk through the valley of the shadow of death, because that's where we learn 
the biggest lessons. That's where we become stronger. That's where we get the power to face the next adversity. So for me, I've even said to friends, like I will stand at the top of the mountain and say, bring it God, because I enjoy the high that comes out of working through problems. I am, I've been in the trenches. I've been at the bottom. I'm not afraid of it. You can take everything away from me and I will rebuild it back 10 times better. I don't care. So if somebody comes to me with a problem, I always see a solution. I, I used to think it was, you know, personality flaw because I'm very solution oriented. Like I always find I'm a hairstylist of 27 years. I look for problems with people's hair all day long and I fix it. So for me, problems bring me joy because I know the solution. And so it's actually, I think it, that was a term I love where I had to realize that like, because I'm love to find solutions. It doesn't mean that I'm a bad person, which is really weird if that makes sense. Because I feel like so many people want to focus on the problem that when you focus on the solution, you're weird. My kids even say, what's mom's famous line in our house? No problems, only solutions. We're not going to talk about what can you do to resolve this? And that is always my go-to line because it's, and then you get that feeling that everything you touch turns to gold. There's nothing that I can't solve. It's a challenge. I love it. Bring it. You want to have an argument with me? Let's talk about it. Like, you know, I want to find a solution. It it fuels me. And so I can say that everything I touch in my eyes, what it is, the gold turns to gold. Like, that's how I feel about it. Like you said, it's all my perception. I don't care if you don't think my life's gold. Whatever I touch turns to what I perceive as gold in my life. Hey, listeners, it's Jeremy. Just wanted to say thank you so much for listening. And I wanted to take a quick break from the episode and remind you that at www.optimalself.today, you can gain access to our free, did I say it, free identity creator course, plus right now two bonus downloads that will forever change the way you go to bed and wake up in the morning. Did I mention that this is all free? It is for a limited time. Thank you guys again for listening. And again, the website is www.optimalself.today. Now let's get right back to the episode. Well said. That's that is a really important part. It goes back to it goes back to the fear of other people's opinions. It goes back to truly because there's very few people, right? And you hear people talk about this all the time. Is that the moment my life changed was when I no longer gave a shit what everybody else thought. Right. Mm-hmm. But the truth is like most people live, they don't live themselves. They mm-hmm. live being what they think you want them to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So my thought is, Oh, Teresa wants me to be this. And so I'm going to be this. It's not, it's not true. Mm-hmm. What I want to be. And the moment that you can break free from that, like you just said, mm-hmm. is the moment that look, I understand that I can say everything I touch turns to gold. It may not be gold to you. <laughs> and that's okay, right? <laughs> Just like your gold may not be gold to me. That's okay. That's that's perfectly okay. But it is my gold, right? And, and that is what I love. And that's that's an enjoyment. I think it's very important that, that people take this. And I hope they wrote it down. I wrote it down, right? Is no problems, only solutions. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> you said it this way, Teresa. This is something that's super cool. And I hope people take this. Is you said problems bring me joy mm-hmm. like that is like and it's not and again that can be misconstrued right it's like oh i seek problem it's like no but they, <laughs> when you bring that to me it brings me joy because i am solution oriented 
And so my entire being is not to search for problems. My entire being is being solution oriented. That's what I want people to understand. There's a difference. You see, people get confused. They confuse themselves because there's a lot of people out there and I know you know them because I have them in my life as well. Mm -hmm. And they love, they need the chaos. They need shit to be wrong, right? They need things to be going Mm -hmm. wrong. And I think people can misinterpret what you just said, that problems bring me joy, but they only do that because who I am, the identity, (laughs) who I've created, this woman that everybody's seeing right now is solution oriented. So Mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about problems because I know I'm the solution because that's who I am. Yeah. Let's not get it confused with, I do not like arguing. I do not like strive. I don't like that feeling. So the quicker I can come to a solution, the faster it's gone. (laughs) So maybe that's, you know, a good thing because I'm not someone who likes chaos at all. Like I have two boys. They're three and a half years apart, like brothers fighting, wrestling. I hated it. And so I was like, stop (laughs) solutions. (laughs) Like my solution was get out in the backyard and y'all are going to take rocks from one side of the yard to the other. Like until you burn out your anger and your energy, like until you can find a solution, they had to do something to get that aggression out. Like there was always a solution. My kids have the most hilarious stories, but Mm. I'm always focused on solutions. But my kids are entrepreneurs. I have a 25-year-old daughter, a 19-year-old son, my 16-year-old son. Well, he turned 16 in a week, but they're just, they're go-getters. And it's hilarious to watch what they do from, like we talked before, meal prepping, because they've watched me do it. You know, prepare for your week. They've watched me get up every morning, four thirty, five o'clock, hit the gym before they, I actually, um, funny, I put a gym in my house and I had an elliptical in my kitchen for the longest time. I didn't have a dining room table and everybody would laugh. And I go, you know, I want my kids to see me working out. I don't want to put them in the daycare. And then I go work out. I want them to be a part of this. I want them to see me training and, and, you know, being prepared. And then they're going to ask me, why, why do you train? Well, I, I train every day so I can get prepared to solve problems. If I ever get a disease, I'm prepared. It's not saying I'm exempt from ever getting sick or cancer. I'm going to get it, but I'm going to be prepared. At least I know if I get cancer, I did my best to build up my body, my immune system. So I have a chance to fight it. I mean, that should be on billboards. It shouldn't be, you know, the other stuff that they're saying that that's what the billboard should have. But let's go back for a second because I want to, because you and I had this conversation and I want to make sure that the audience gets the whole gist of this is that. With Optimal Self, one of our hashtags that we've coined the phrase. So we talk a lot about generational wealth, right? You hear that everywhere, right? People talk about it. And, and, I, and I think it's great. I think it's important for sure. But when we look at generational wealth, what happens though, in most cases, that by the second or third generation, that wealth is gone. It is complete. It's complete. It's completely gone by the second or third generation. And the reason is because the person that created the wealth, the habits that created that wealth that that person had, they didn't pass down the habits, they passed down the wealth. And if they don't know how to manage that wealth and they don't know the habits that created it, there's no way to sustain it. There's a thing out there in this world, guess what? It's called inflation and shit costs more money (laughs) as time goes on, right? Your bread today those of you that buy bread, like it costs more <laughs> money than it did 15 months ago, right? Your gas, right? I'm yes. in California. Holy shit. It was like $4.89 the other day. I'm like, <gasps> oh my so, gosh. so again, my, my point is mm-hmm. that if the wealth passed down from two generations ago when, when gas was 86 cents, 
that shit isn't going to last very long today when it's five months. But the habits are what are, are what we want to pass down. So in, in Optimal Self, ours, we talk a lot about generational habits. But the only way those habits get passed down is if you have them. And so you tell me the story. You were like, yeah, I was out with the kids or... It was either your son and his girlfriend and his daughter and her boyfriend, one of the two. And you can, you can elaborate on the story. And you said, yeah, they left early because they had to get home to meal prep. Mm-hmm. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Say that again. How old are they? And, and then I asked you, do you tell them to go meal prep? You're like, Never. no, not once. No, <laughs> no. <I> mean, <laughs> and it's, <laughs> but they watched me do it, you know, and it's funny because I can remember my mom coming over and being like, why do you got to do this on a Sunday? Or why do you do this on a Monday? And I'm like, well, it's easy. It makes life actually more efficient to do other things. And you have healthy food ready there to grab mm-hmm. all of the time. And I, speaking of generational habits, nobody ever taught me about money ever. Like you don't get taught in school. My parents didn't have a lot of money. And I learned the Dave Ramsey method early on. And I thought, I'm going to teach my kids this. And this is a very true story. But by the, from the time my kids were four, I call it Dave Ramsey them. But they had, they got um, allowance for doing chores. At four years old, they were putting dishes away. They were helping me with everything I did in the kitchen. We had stools, so they never had an excuse. They couldn't reach something. And I would stack things and they would help me put them away until they could actually unload the dishwasher themselves. My kids have taken out the trash. They wipe off the counters. But every night we do family dinner together. And so doing their chores at the end of that was just that time where we got to spend together doing work that may not be fun, but we made it fun. My boys were snapping each other with towels. We were telling jokes. We were squirting each other with the host. We made chores fun in our house, but my kids got an allowance for doing it. They had a spin safe tight envelope. And so from the time they're four, they don't know anything different than, you know, you help contribute to the family with your finances. And so they had responsibility with things like if they broke something in my house, they knew they were going to have to pay for it. And I was never mad because didn't come out of my my work day, you know, it came out of theirs. I would buy them a lunchbox for school. And if they lost it or left it at school, they had to buy the next one. It was actually funny. One time, my son, that is now 19, he would not stop leaving his socks around my house <laughs> everywhere. And I finally said, Jackson, I'm going to throw every single pair, one pair of your socks away. And when you don't have any more socks in your drawer, because you don't put them away, you're going to have to buy yourself some new socks. And I'll tell you what, he thought I wouldn't do it. And I did it. And it killed me. But every time I, he had left his socks in the floor, I'd pick him up and throw him away. Throw him away. Pretty soon he's like, mom, where's my socks? And I'm like, I don't know. You tell me. And he had to spend $25 when he was like 10 years old to buy two packages of socks. And he will never forget that. But it was the best lesson because that's how it is in life. Like my kids learned so much about finances and it's funny now because my 19 year old, he had just moved out with his girlfriend and he was talking about, they have a dog and he was talking about, you know, oh, I moved into this new house and all these unexpected expenses. And I had to take my dog to the vet and it was like 800 bucks and blah, blah, blah. And I go, oh yeah, really? I said, how's it going? And he goes, well, it's good because I had the emergency fund. So I had a couple thousand dollars saved. So I'm good. We're good. But you know, thank God I had that. <laughs> but my kids have always had an emergency fund. <laughs> like one time my daughter did something that really pissed me off <laughs> and I was like how'd you pay for that and she was like my emergency fund and I was like oh damn it <laughs> he backfired on me <laughs> oh, shit <laughs> but I've taught them that like they don't know anything different you know yeah so I mean, wow <laughs> so I just always like to recap because it's amazing to hear 
the stories. And I remember, I remember reading John Maxwell and Maxwell used to say that, you know, his dad would pay him to read books. He wouldn't pay him to do, to do chores around the house. So that's, you know, that's your contribution to the family, right? But to educate yourself and to get it, read the book. And then we talk about the book and he had, he had like a, a list of books and the book had a, had a number by it. So this one's 25 bucks. This one's 15 bucks. You want this small, tiny one here. That one's eight bucks, right? Like, and all the books that his dad, you know, and he, he talks about that. But I, I love the idea that like, look, I'm going to get you the lunchbox and your jacket and your socks for school. And I'm going to get it all. I'm going to take care of that, right? Like, I got you. But there's a responsibility now because I'm handing it over to you. So now they are yours. But now they are your responsibility. And even at a young age, you understand, but you don't understand, right? Until you don't have it. You're like, oh shit, where's my lunchbox? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I can't tell you know, to buy it. Yeah, right. It's a plastic a garbage bag, like a like a I, I I literally would not cave. I would say, Nope, you don't have it, then you are gonna have to find another way to mm -hmm. bring your lunch to school until they could afford to save if they'd spend their money, save and buy a new one. And that was right. on them. But I was never running around the pissed off parent ever. I was, I was like, well, how's that lunchbox treating you? And then they realized that like, this sucks. I'm not going to lose my lunchbox again because my friends are all making fun of me because I have a Safeway grocery bag. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. And here's the thing. So the life lesson, right, is that when we learn the lesson, it stays with us. Those kids know that. I mean, now as they're, they're coming into adulthood, Trust me, we can all go back. I can tell you stories of being a kid. I can tell you things that still have a physical and emotional response, right? Like I still have that. And it's because of those, those lessons, those things, right? And so giving that to them is amazing. But think about it. Like, I don't know about you, but if we did something wrong, we just got our ass beat. Like it was like, oh, I'll go to your room. And you know, dad takes his belt off and smacks you on the ass. And you're, that was your consequence was some, you know, but now with this type of consequence that I was implementing with my kids, like I was smiling. They were the ones feeling the pain. And then they, it was a natural consequence they felt from the outside world. You know, I didn't have to enforce that. And that's real life. I mean, we're not raising kids to be kids. We're raising kids to be adults. So from the time you're a child, I'm going to treat you like an adult. So learning how to manage money. Yes. Is it responsibility to be a part of my family and do things in my family and take care of our family? Yes. But it's also teaching them the value of money the value of compromise, sacrifice, you know, having to be, you know, pay for it yourself. Like that, that, that is children is, is priceless. And I was never the mom running around complaining that I had to wash my kids' clothes because my kids have washed their own clothes from the time they're four. They know how to turn on my washer and dryer. They know if they broke the damn thing, they're going to buy me a new one. <laughs> so I was never the mom that had to worry about that. Y'all are paying me payment. <laughs> Man, that those lessons though, you you call them they, they are life lessons because they they stick with us. And now your kids have emergency funds. You know, like, like I said, I, I wanted you to tell that story because I was like, man, they just got up and they just went and did it. And it's it's learned behavior. And I think that's something that we all fail to realize. And if we go back to the start of this conversation with your life, right? You said this dysfunctional family and this alcoholic, and then boom, and then here I am at 19, pregnant, right? Like that was all learned behavior that that's what everybody else did, right? Environment matters and the environment that you're in. And again, with optimal, we talk about this all the time because probably the, one of the biggest things that people always ask is they're like, but how do I get out of the negativity? The people around me and they, they don't support my goals. That's a big one. 
How do I get my wife, my husband, my friends, my mom, my dad, whatever the age is, right? To support my goals. And I think this is really important because you did this very well with, with your kids is, is being the leader and, and actually just doing what meant what you knew to do like for yourself and then follow along, right? And one of the things that I tell them all the time is I, I say, well, do you believe in your goals? They're like, yeah, I want to, I want to have this one, you know, whatever. I want to lose 50 pounds. I want to have a million dollar business. I want to have like whatever it is. Right. And then you really ask them, like you really dig in and you go, wait a second. Do you, what are you doing daily? Because if you told me, right, if that person, if you, for even for you, for instance, right. If you were like, I'm going to be in fitness and I'm going to, I want to, I want to win this competition. (laughs) And then your alarm goes off and you're supposed to go to the gym and you're like, yeah, not today. Right. And then you go in and you're like, oh shit, I'm in a hurry. I'll just grab something. And so I drive through on my way to, to, to work or whatever, right? Well, clearly those are not activities. Those are not ways to win the fucking competition. Let's be clear. And I want people to understand this is that we do that in our regular lives all the time. We say we want something, but yet what we actually do is not the same. It's not. And we don't, we don't do, but yet then we expect everybody else to support our goals, but you're not even doing like show up every day, do it just like for you. Right. Mm-hmm. There may be a time. I mean, my girls came to the gym with me, you know, mm-hmm. my girls, Tay was little, like, I mean, when I, you know, playing baseball and she'd come to the park with me. And as they got older, they were like, dad, do I really got to go? Do we really got to go to the gym? Like it's the only way, right. There's, you know, <laughs> And then they started to love it, right? Then they started to actually, you know, one of the things, I mean, later in life, when I, I went to the CrossFit Games and I tell the story all the time, and I, and I think it's relative to, to everything you're saying about preparation and efficiency, is the girls, I would pick them up from school. It was one of the things being, a, being you know, divorced. And uh, when I had those girls, there was never a time where I didn't make my time to make sure that I was the one picking them up when they were with dad, Right. And they would come with me. They'd come with me to my office mm-hmm. in real estate or they'd go to the gym with me. And I used to always have my niece with, with me as well. And so, you know, Tay was a little bit older. So I'd have my, my little one, Ryan, and, and my niece, Cameron. And literally we would, I would, they had bean bags, they had mm-hmm. tables, they'd come in and they had their own spot in the gym and they would do homework and, you know, we, mm-hmm. they'd have food and they'd eat and they never complained. And there are days where dad like had to get those extra workouts in. I'd go in and they were just covered up with their blankets on their beanbags, either, you know, watching a movie or, or asleep. Mm. And I tell that story because in our life, it's never by ourselves. Like there's sacrifice. Those girls sacrifice. And I can tell you this event for deadlift and box jump. And I win number one in the world. And I jumped down off that box and I see all the white shirts because everybody had their white <laughs> shirts on. Mm. And I catch eyes with, with my little girl. And I don't even know. She's probably 11 or 12 at this age-wise. And she's bawling, like crying. I look over my mom. My mom's crying. And I, could, that, I just couldn't stop, right? Like immediately, like for no other reason than just this emotional moment, right? Mm. And afterward, when I was sitting down and I was reflecting on that moment, I realized like, they were part of that. All of them sacrificed. Ryan sacrificed those moments of being with, you know, she was with dad, but it was at the gym. You know what I mean? Like, would you rather go home and sit at home? She's like, no, I'll stay here. I'll be here, dad. Don't worry. We're right here. 
And sometimes they'd come out and get on a bike or mess around or, you know what I mean? Like, or even do a little workout on their own, but they were part of it. Mm-hmm. That, that success for them, right? And now what are they learning? They're learning that it takes, dad, there's nobody else here. It's dark outside and you're still going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what it takes. Mm-hmm. It takes to do the shit when no one's watching. It takes to do the shit that nobody else wants to do. If you want that life you say you want. Mm-hmm. And so for you being with your kids and showing them, like that's the biggest key I want people to understand is you said this early is the preparation. Like I'm just preparing. I'm preparing for my week. I'm preparing. I'm preparing them for life. No, you lost your lunchbox. You can buy it. That's preparation, mm-hmm. right? And then you use the term efficiency because you said, and it makes my life easier. Like that mindset, (laughs) write that shit down people because meal prepping or getting ahead early or, or, or shit. (laughs) Yeah. Preparing for some sort of like disease, like everything is preparation. It's not all going to go look pretty and work out of the gym. And no, that's what I'm preparing because if I ever get sick and my family can at least say, Hey, she's in pretty good shape. She has a chance to fight it. Mm. Right. I'm preparing because it saves my medical costs. You want to know what I told my kids, why they brush their damn teeth. Why do you brush your damn teeth? <laughs> That's your dental insurance. <laughs> like I can pay for dental, brush your damn teeth. That's your dental insurance. <laughs> like, come on. You don't want cavities. You don't want to go to the dentist. I want to have this astronomical bill, like <laughs> brush and floss your teeth. <laughs> Prepare. That is awesome. That's, I mean, again, the way that you see the world again, to hearing what you say and how you're educating the children, how you're preparing the children, how you're, and how you even do it in your own life is that, you know, so many people look at those things as a chore, like, Oh God, I got it. You know what I mean? Where you're like, no, that's the insurance. That's the preparation. Like here, I'm every ounce of my life, every single day I'm preparing for. Every time you walk out of your door, there's going to be some sort of adversity or challenge. I mean, think about the caveman days. Like there was a lion that ate you or a saber-toothed tiger or a storm. Like we are fighting against death every single day. Like with everything we do, we have a choice. So you can either prepare to live a life, you know, alive, or you can prepare to step out your door and be defeated by every obstacle that hits you. So do I walk around always thinking, oh, I got to prepare? No, I'm not a doomsday. No, I'm not, none of that. But what I do do is I do it because it makes me feel good you know, and it makes me look good, but it, that's just a side effect from doing the right things. Like God only gives us one body to honor. If we honor it correctly, the natural beauty comes out of it. I think I shared with you before, but I haven't shared on this podcast that I'm 45 years old. I'm in the best shape of my life. Actually, right now today, I weigh the same that I weighed when I did my fitness competition, my first one and one Miss Fitness Oregon. So, but it doesn't come because I said, that's my goal. I want to look like Barbie. It didn't happen like that. People will come up to me, oh, you're 45, you have great genetics. And it actually kind of makes me angry because I really work hard at being healthy and living, you know, optimally. Let's say that I, I participate in my life. And because I do what's right and I eat what's right and I work out because it's right and I it makes me feel good and I, I save money and I budget like my like and I actually show up every single day with consistency and strategies that this is me. I get to look like this. This isn't something that I just was gifted with. Like this is an honor. So if you see me in a dress or you see me. I'm honored because I've worked my ass off since I was 16 years old. I've been on my own people, <laughs> like on my own, had a baby at 19, won my first fitness competition, broke AF, <laughs> like at a two-year-old. I didn't have money. 
I made the front page of the newspaper in my small town in Astoria, Oregon with 10,000 people where the Goonies was filmed. I was in a parade. I was like, what? I literally walked on stage like you. And they were like, and the rating has been as Oregon is. And then I got a call like in two weeks. He said, we picked you top 25 in the United States to go to Mexico City. All expense paid for this competition. You win. I was like, me? <laughs> what? <laughs> and I had to raise more money. And it, and, I, and, and it just, it's empowering. But you know, really when you show up in your own life and, and you don't need people to support your goals, all you got to do is believe in yourself and you don't even need to know what the outcome is. Just know you have the desire. And a lot of times when you're setting goals, it's kind of a temporary fix. It's a vision. And I love to not set my hopes on being so specific on that goal, because like you said, Jeremy, a lot of times you can have an idea, have a vision, have a goal, and it actually ends up transitioning into something even more beautiful than what you had ever anticipated. So you don't, you don't need people to believe in that shit because they're not going to believe in it. <laughs> like when you arrive, you're just like, yes, I knew it. <laughs> and and, and yeah. people that have a fixed mindset, they'll say, well, that's funny because that wasn't your goal. You ended up here. And I'm like, yeah, that was my goal. But look where I ended up. Like it's so much better. <laughs> yeah, because that's what happens when, you, when you're moving forward towards something like other things happen, other things open, other doors open, other, like, honestly, optimal self. I wrote the program. I wrote the principles. I followed the principles. I was journaling for myself. It was nobody else for a decade. And then all of a sudden somebody was like, man, this should be, you should be doing a podcast. You should be doing this. I was like, I never thought of that. Honestly, that wasn't my idea. It wasn't. Somebody else said, bro, I saw you on stage. I saw you talk about this. You know what sucks? that only the people in the room heard what you said. And I was like, okay, elaborate on that. What do you mean? He's like, you should be everywhere. Like that should be ditch. You should be, people should be able to find that. There should be audio. This shit should be on video. Like, and I was like, okay, like, that's a great, like I had no, it, it was never, ever what I, you know what I mean? That wasn't something in my head. It wasn't something that I thought. And to be honest with you, I pushed, I pushed back for a long, long time. I really did until the pandemic, until the pandemic. And then I was like, I can't even leave my house. <laughs> shit. Like, what am I going to do? You know what I mean? I can't teach. I can't go around and speak anymore. I can't, like all the things that I was doing, they took away every single thing I do. Everything I loved. Everything. Jim? Nope. You can't go there. Right? Speak in front of people and, and give back? Nope. Can't do it. Right? You know what I mean? Like everything that meant shit to me, they were like, those are the things you can't do. But if you need to go to Bevmo and buy a two liter of vodka, you can do that. Like you can go home. <laughs> alcohol sales are go ahead and get drunk. But <laughs> damn you, don't go outside. Don't be healthy. You know what I mean? Don't give back to others, whatever you do. Anyways, but my point is that, you know, you're right. Like people think the things that come are because, you know, oh, you're again, you're lucky, right? I told you this before. It's one of my biggest pet peeves on earth. The two things that I hate, you're lucky or your genetics are good. No, they're not. Mm -hmm. Or the person that says I'm unlucky and my genetics are bad. Like, no, they're not. Oh yeah. What you put in your mouth is what's bad. Right. Like I've had this conversation. I'm actually, your rest of my family. No, it doesn't. <laughs> like, no, that's not your genetics, bro. It's the fucking bag of Doritos you eat every night. And the two liter of Mountain Dew, like that's what does it. <laughs> like, have it. <laughs> right? Nice genetics. No, <laughs> but, um, oh. all right. So listen, Teresa, I could do this all day. You're you're incredible. I, I mean, we need the people, you know, the to get these guys, especially the guys that listen to this, man, they need to jump over, you know, listen to the respected man. I, I love what you're doing. This is a part of the show at the end. I call it quick hitters. You've already touched on these, which is amazing. So it's awesome. But I'm gonna give you a word 
And I just want you to, I just want you kind of elaborate on how it hits you and what it means to you. And the first word I use in quick hitters is impact. What is the impact you want to leave? And, and what does that mean to you? You know, it's, I, I love that word actually, because I've often gotten down on myself because I feel like I'm not leaving my family generational wealth, which is crazy. But the impact that I have on my children will last far longer. The mm. things I've taught them will last far longer than leaving them a legacy of wealth. That's, That's the impact awesome. I want to leave. <laughs> Way, it, it, and I, I mean, we talked about that earlier, but yeah, like that's, uh, that's awesome. Awesome. I don't want to, I mean, that was, that's beautifully said. And then this word you've used several times, but, and I love it is discipline. And so what does discipline mean to you and, and, and how does it affect where you're going and what you've done? Mm. Discipline actually means love to me. Mm. Elaborate. Because through discipline, you can reach new heights. You can go anywhere you want to in life. And you have people that rise up and support you when you're disciplined or you teach discipline. Discipline isn't a negative word. Discipline is a positive word. It means somebody actually loves you and cares enough to actually see you succeed in life. Mm. That's like, <laughs> mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> Teresa, it's fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, I knew coming in here was going to be incredible, but... I hope you guys took away, you know, the the discipline, the impact, and you see what she's doing and how she's leaving it. It's not always about wealth. You can you can impact people in so many other ways. Your discipline is love. It's love of self. It's love of showing it to others. It's it's the ability when you show that kind of discipline, you're going to build your confidence, and your confidence is what people are going to be attracted to, and it's going to be the best version of you. Right? Build that through impact, through discipline, and. I think everybody should adopt the mantra to say, everything I touch turns to gold. It's my goal. (laughs) My goal. (laughs) My goal. Well said. Well said. Teresa, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely incredible. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. All right. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, get out there and be the best version of you. Subscribe to Optimal Self wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. For more information on how to be the best version of you, visit OptimalSelf.today and follow at OptimalSelf1 on Facebook, at Optimal underscore Self on Instagram, and subscribe to Optimal Self on YouTube. Thank you for listening.